Can we give a hand for our wonderful band? With they've just been killing it. With Doug and his misfit toys up here. Uh, so my name is Chris Nation. As I was introduced a few minutes ago, I have the privilege of being your designated pastor's kid. Um, but most of the time, I spend my days at Houston Baptist University. I'm a Christianity major with a minor in biblical languages, which means I read the Bible and I write papers on it and I have no free time because I'm bad at doing those first two things. Um, and so, but this summer I've had the privilege of being here with all of you the past two summers I've been at camps, and so I've really enjoyed getting plugged in with this church, getting to know a lot of you, and getting involved in life groups and ministries and all of that. Um, so today we're not talking about me, we're talking about John. Um, and so today we're going to be in John 6, 30 through 40, if you want to turn there. Uh, but before we get into the passage, I kind of want to give a quick summary of what we've talked about the past two weeks, uh, in case any of you have either missed or just fell asleep during sermons, both of which I understand. Um, and so we started in John 6, and we talked about two specific miracles. Uh, some of the coolest miracles within the Gospels, and that's the first of the feeding of the 5,000, and the second was walking on water. So essentially, Jesus is with this crowd. He's teaching of 5,000 men, which means there's anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people uh, because of women and children also in the crowd. And he asks his disciple Philip where they're going to get food to feed these people. And so essentially, the disciples gather together, and they think, we don't have enough money because there's a lot of people, and there's no Taco Bell nearby, so we can't just run and quickly grab something because this is a lot of people. And so they pretty much come to Jesus and they said, this is nearly impossible except for the fact that we have one little snack of this boy with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And so Jesus takes this and he multiplies it and he feeds the 5,000 to 15,000 people in this moment with his miraculous provision. And so then the people get really excited and so Jesus withdraws himself so that he can pray. And he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee and these people are fishermen, so they're great on the water, but there's a storm that comes over that overwhelms them. And so Jesus, being Jesus, walks across the water and lands on the boat and instantly delivers these people to the other side and calms the storm. And so this shows that if we look at the disciples, they both got to see a miracle provided for others, but then immediately were provided for themselves. This shows the provision of God is so much greater than anything that we could ever imagine. So the next sermon we talked about last week uh, is immediately after that, when they land on shore, the crowd finds them because they're always looking for Jesus. But a lot of times they're looking for Jesus for the wrong reasons. You see, in that moment they wanted bread because they got a miracle before, so they want another one here. And so they're asking what they need to do, and the real kicker of the message was verse 29. So keep that in your heads because we're going to be talking about it a bit today because it flows perfectly into today's sermon. And so verse 29 said... Um, that the work of God is to believe in the one who he has sent. So the work of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. So that's extremely crucial in understanding what we're talking about today and where the heads of these people are. So if you'll turn with me to John 6:30, it's about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Uh, if that's too complicated to find, you can flip to the front of the Bible. There's a table of contents, Old and New Testament. And so in the New Testament, it's the fourth gospel, which just means it's the fourth good news, is what gospel means. It's the fourth account of Jesus Christ's life, according to John. And so, John 6:30 reads, What sign then are you going to do 
so we may see and believe in you. Keep in mind, this is the crowd of people talking. So Jesus says, you need to believe in me. And so they say, what sign are you going to do so that we believe in you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I have told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who has come to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those who he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Would you all pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you. Uh, God, just be with me and be with these people. God, help it to be your words but not mine that flow through me. Uh, God, help your spirit dwell in this house so it's not my message that's been prepared but yours that is laid on other people's hearts. God, we love you and we praise you and help us to have this moment to show you that and to realize that. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So before we get into the kicker of what I want to talk about in this passage, I want to take a quick pit stop to talk about how we should really read this specific scripture, but scripture as a whole. So a lot of times we get tempted to look at a passage like this and put everybody in two specific parties. So we say over here, we have the crowd of five to 15,000-ish people, and they're bad. They're not smart. They keep messing it up. They see Jesus, but they don't get it. And then over on this side, we have Jesus and his posse of 12 disciples, and they're over here, and they're good, because Jesus gets it, the disciples don't always get it, but for the most part, they know what they're doing, and so Jesus is doing all these great things, and then we, as the reader, have hindsight, and so we sit here in the middle, take a step back, and we think, I want to be on this side. And so we go, and we sit over here, and we think, those people are really bad. And so what can I learn from this passage so that I can learn about those people so that I can stay over here? But a lot of times, what we really need to do is realize that we are absolutely in this camp of people. And so I think a lot of sermons, we get to the end, and then you kind of get that quick like snap of, oh, I'm actually in this one. So for this sermon, I want you to, before we even start anything, to realize that this is what we're learning about. We need to know how we, as sinful people, and how I, as a sinful person, am going to teach a sermon to a bunch of sinful people, what we need to learn in order to emulate Jesus and to be more like Jesus, but that we're absolutely learning about something that we practically have to fight through today. And so that's where we are right now. And so don't look at this as a sermon that it's going to be, we're talking about a crowd of people that lived 2,000 years ago, but something that we can apply to our lives right now. So the first point I want to talk about is that we want incontestable confirmation while God wants to give something to place our faith in. You see, the sermon that I'm talking about today is about disconnected desires. And so a lot of times we want something, and God wants to give us something because he's the great provider. 
but we want something totally not aligning with the will of God. And so how do we shape our lives around what God wants to give us instead of trying to shape what God wants to give us around our lives? And so we want incontestable confirmation. For the crowd, they asked for something very specific in this verse. And I absolutely think that they wanted a piece of bread. What we've talked about the past few sermons is that this crowd was very selfish in what they wanted. They wanted to come to Jesus not because they thought he was a savior, but because they thought that they could get their next meal out of him. But what they say here is very important, because they don't just ask for bread. But in verse 31, they say, Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave us the bread from heaven to eat. Now in Greek, the word for manna is just manna. And so that's important for one specific reason. And so a lot of times a pastor is going to tell you a Greek word, and it's really not important, so you can just kind of forget it and let it go over your head. But sometimes it's really important because either A, a Greek word has multiple different meanings, and so your translator has to pick a specific definition of it, and so that's why we have a bunch of different versions of the Bible that are really, really similar. Or sometimes there's a Greek word, uh, and there's a bunch of Greek words, and there's only one English word. So like the word love, we have agape, we have eros, we have storge, we have phileo in Greek. And so for this specific passage, in verse 11 of 6, we see that they're talking about bread. And that's a word called artois, or artos, depending on the different grammar of it throughout the verse. And so they're talking about bread. But here specifically, they're talking about manna. And so manna refers back to Exodus 16, is where uh, the original passage of manna is talked about. You can flip there if you want to. If not, you can take my word for it. Um, but essentially, the passage talks about the people are being led out of the wilderness by God, specifically through Moses and his brother, and they're leading out of the wilderness, and the people start to complain, because that's what we as people do, is complain. And so the people are wandering through the wilderness, and they're thinking, I wish Moses would have just left us in Egypt as slaves so that we could just die there as slaves, but at least we had bread to eat. At least we had a roof over our head, we had fresh water, and it was at least semi-okay. And so God, being the great provider that he is, decides to send this manna from heaven, and so that when the dew clears, there's this sweet honey bread that's on the ground, and they can scoop it up, and they can go back, and they can eat whatever they want that day, and that's how God provided them as they wandered through the wilderness. And so this for the Israelites back in Exodus 16 was a confirmation that Moses was the one whom God had sent for them to be saved from Egypt. This was absolutely something that they could not deny because it was heavenly bread that rained down and landed on the ground and there was no way that they could contest that being true. And so that's what they want Jesus to do in this moment. They're not content with the miracles that Jesus has done because if they really just wanted a miracle, they already had it. They've already seen Jesus do two in this one specific chapter. But they wanted something absolute and incontestable that was more than just what they considered a cheap party trick, but they wanted something raining from the heaven of God to just prove without a doubt that this is his savior. And so that's what we do in our lives a lot, is we yearn for something greater. We see that God gives us a new job, but then right across the hall, there's that corner office that looks so much better, and so we immediately want that. We get the provisions for a new car, but then the next year, there's going to be another one. We say, God, if you're so good, why is this still happening? God, if you are so good, why are people still sick? God, if you're so good, why is there still poverty? God, if you're so good, why am I still suffering in this one specific way? As soon as we get a blessing, we so often yearn for another one. 
but God wants to provide in a completely unique way that aligns his will that doesn't always necessarily align ours. God isn't necessarily going to come down in a cloud and just say, hey, this is what you need to believe. The Baptists have this much right. The Catholics have this much right. The Lord's Supper needs to be done this way. Baptism should be done this way. And God might do that, because I'm not going to put God in a box, because God does what he wants. But we don't need to just sit here and wait for that exact moment to happen, because that's not faith. Faith is putting our trust and our hope and our belief in God because we believe in God, not just because we think God is going to do something incredible for us. The next point kind of follows along the same general lines, um, and that's that we want short-term protection while God wants to give long-term provision. And so provision and protection sound like really similar words, but when you're a Christian, you can kind of shift things around so it sounds like what you need it to um, for clever pastor purposes. And so in this, they want something, as we refer back to Exodus 16, they want something exactly like Moses. They want this protection because as Moses was leading the people out of slavery from Egypt, they want something similar from Jesus. Because if you keep in mind of the context of where John is writing, Israel is currently under Roman captivity, just like pretty much all of the East was because Rome had just conquered pretty much everything. And so they want Jesus to be a savior in the moment and provide for them a means of just being an earthly king and walking up to the Roman Senate and just giving them a good kick in the face and then they're free. That's what they expect Jesus to come and do. They don't think that they need a savior from themselves. They think that they need a savior from Rome. And so just as we saw in verse 15 of two sermons ago, uh, after Jesus had done these miracles, they wanted to make Jesus the king. And so that's why he retreated off and prayed. They thought that the highest thing that they could do for Jesus was to appoint him as this earthly king and give him this earthly title so that he could come and save them in this unique way. And we often do this too. I think a lot of times we, as Christians, have the opportunity to pray to God for literally anything. We can come to the throne of the Father with any request that we could possibly ever make. And we choose to, a lot of times, put this in the new job, or in the new car, or even things that seem really, really important, like my wife is sick, or my kid needs help on this, or something really important, or it's, I didn't study last night, or this morning, and I woke up late, and then I ran to class, and then I sat down, and the test is already in front of me, and I just, before I even pick up a pencil, I just, throw out this quick prayer of, hey God, it's me. I've got to study again. So if you just do this for me, then I promise that I'll study next time. If you do this for me, I promise I'll pray the next seven days. It's a pretty big deal. If you do this for me, I promise I'll read my Bible for a month. And then I get the test back, and I didn't get an A, because that's not how tests work for all you youngish people over there study. And so I get the test back. It's not great. And then I thank God, if you're such a great provider, why didn't you provide? But that's not what God means by provision, because he's not our omniscient genie, and he's not our eternal Santa Claus. He's not here to just provide for these specific little things in our will. 
which sometimes he does because he loves us and he's a heavenly father and a father gives great gifts and so sometimes you will be blessed with a nice car and sometimes you will be blessed with an income of money or a good grade on a test even though you're not really gonna deserve it and you're just good at multiple choice. But God does provide. But I think we need to put our faith not in that specific provision, because that's not fair for us to put God in that little box of, if you don't provide for me in this way, then you're not providing for me. Because God wants to give a long-term provision. He's not here just to save us from Roman captivity or from the starvation that they were currently feeling because their last meal was the last one that Jesus gave them. And he's not here just to provide us from these little earthly things that aren't really that important in the long run but he's here for an eternal, significant purpose. So the next point is we want momentary gratification while God wants to give us eternal salvation. So after these people talk, Jesus essentially spells out what he wants to give these people. After he spells out that it's not about this momentary protection He says, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus spells it out really clearly right there, but they immediately turn it to something momentary. They said, sir, give us this bread always. Even though Jesus has clearly spelled out that this is something so much greater than just a meal that they can get, they still want Jesus to give them something. They say, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what we were asking for. We wanted bread. You're giving us bread. That's good. But then Jesus has to turn around and say, I am the bread of life. Just keep in mind, anytime anybody says I am in the Bible is a pretty important statement because he says I am the bread of life. Jesus told them no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. See, the crowd is still yearning for this momentary gratification of bread in this situation. But Jesus has so much more intended for them. And so I want to hone in on these last two verses to kind of focus the rest of the sermon on, because I think it's really, really important. And so I said we were going to get back to verse 29 from earlier, and that said the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And so Jesus spells out the work of God right there. That's the one that we focused on last week, said it was important, said you need to cross-stitch, all that. And so this is the will of God. So Jesus spells out two things that are the will of God. First, he says in 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that's God, that I should lose none of those who he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. And then second, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a pretty powerful statement. And I think we need to keep that one in mind because it's become one of my favorites, is the will of my Father is that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I, being Jesus, will raise him up on the last day. You see, the crowd is still yearning for this bread, but Jesus is literally offering them eternal life and community with the Father. And so we have the choice to either, A, turn just as the crowd did and start to murmur after Jesus says this and say, isn't this just the carpenter boy? Isn't this just some random kid? And he's saying that he is the bread of life. 
or we can point our hearts and our minds towards the Lord and His provision and His salvation. You see, we have two important steps here, and that's first, the work of God. It is our job, and our only real job, is to believe in the one whom He has sent. God lays out this specific rule, and this is what I want you to do, and that's believe in Jesus. And then the will of God, something that is absolute and always going to be true, something that no matter what is going to happen, for all those people who complete the work of God, for all those people who believe in the Son, then the will of God will happen. The will of God is for all those people who believe that they will be raised up on the last day and given eternal life. And so unfortunately for us, a lot of times this doesn't mean that the momentary gratification is going to happen. A lot of times we're not going to get the perfect thing in this life. A lot of times it's going to be hard. And if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, he was beaten and he was mocked and he had to flee a lot of bad situations. And at the last of his life, he was persecuted and he was mocked and scorned and spit on and stripped and his stuff was sold and then he was put up on a cross to die. And so if we follow in that footstep, it's not that great. And that's really sad for us. But it doesn't end there because it didn't end that day and it didn't end the next day or the next day. But on the third day, Jesus, just as he said that he would raise us up on the last day, on the third day, Jesus rose himself. In that moment, he defeated death, he defeated sin, and he put an end to all of what the crowd could murmur about, all of what the crowd could ask for in that moment, but he gave something so much greater. And so for us, we need to take a step back. For us, we need to take a moment to realize how incredibly important this verse is. You see, Jesus spells out the will of God, and it's time for us to turn towards the work of God and realize that the will of God is going to be something that is complete in our lives. So if everybody could bow their heads and close your eyes, I just want to take a moment to reflect. And no matter the situation that you're in, there's always going to be something that's important to reflect on. So for the people who need to turn their faith towards the provision, um, a lot of times you're in bad situations, and it's hard. And a lot of what you trust in is just the provision of God. But I think a lot of times we need to trust in the provider. And so I want you to just reflect for a moment that it's not just about what God is doing in your life, but what he has already done in your life. For a lot of you, something bad is happening in your life. There's suffering, there's pain, there's poverty. And so instead of trusting God through those situations, we doubt in God because that's what we think that God is here for. And so we need to turn our provision in our minds, in our fulfillment in our minds, not towards something that's earthly, but towards something that's eternal. To realize that God is the one who has provided a way for us to be with him forever in eternal community. And for the people in the crowd who have yet to turn towards the work of God, Realize that you're in a very an important part of your life. That God has given us the opportunity to be with him forever and it, it would be totally just a miss to miss out on this.